We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. St. Louis was a familiar port of call for George H.W. Bush before and after he became president. It was a place he liked to visit because his brother and cousin lived here. It gave reporters like Joe Manis and me many opportunities to talk with him. Joe joins me in studio to reminisce a little bit about the 41st president. Joe, great to have you. Oh, thanks for asking me. You were in Washington during the vice presidential years for right, right. number 41. Yeah, I was here from 85 on, and so I was here when he was running the first time. Actually, I actually traveled with Dukakis some. This was in 88, yeah. and where. Bush won, but barely. I mean, people forget with all this. Um, I mean, to boil it in a nutshell, I mean, I'd say he was a classy guy, but he had his issues, like yeah. like all of all the presidents or major presidential candidates. And there were some things that um, caused divisiveness. People forget that in 1992, uh, George H.W. Bush um, lost in Missouri badly. He only got 34 percent of the vote. Uh, because it was a three-way race between him, Ross Perot, and Bill Clinton. And, um, of course, Bill Clinton carried the state, although he did not get 50%. If um, Some of our older listeners, I'm sure, remember that very combative three-way race. And uh, so Bush was hammered over the economy. There were some um, uh, feelings that, you know, that there was somewhat of a recession. Not a big one, but he was getting hammered over that. Um, conservatives like Phyllis Schlafly had been really hounding him, very vocal, because he had support while he had in 1998 at the presidential convention pledged, quote, no new taxes. He ended up supporting one uh, with the Democrats who controlled Congress in order to address the uh, budget deficit, uh, which had become a big issue because Reagan had these huge, which I was, as I said, I was in the Washington Bureau then uh, for the Post-Dispatch. Reagan had huge deficits. Uh, the largest we had ever had up until that time. And uh, Bush, who was really more of a fiscal conservative, was trying to correct that without being too pronounced about it. Well, he was a politician after all. Yes. And they, they all seemed to do what they have to do. I, I look back at uh, 88 and remember very clearly somebody referred to it as sharp elbows in the, the Willie Horton case. Yeah. Um, in which, uh, you know, that was a, a tactic that uh, paid off for him, but a lot of people resented that. Yeah, I mean, uh, while Bush himself was, I said, a classy person when you dealt with him, I mean, he had his share of hardball consultants, and so he ran this ad that basically accused Dukakis of being responsible mm -hmm. for um, this guy that was put out on parole and then killed somebody. Mm -hmm. And um, the a AKA Willie Horton ad... And uh, which became kind of a template for a lot of the attack ads that have gone on for the next 20 years. It's become sort of a model mm -hmm. in some ways. But um, he actually, during his presidency, he was only here a few times. He, um, I was looking it up. He was in the St. Louis area only uh, between 89 and 93, only like three times, mm -hmm. uh, according to some, uh, and which is less than Trump has been in Missouri in mm -hmm. one year. <laughs> But part because he was busy with a lot of stuff. If you recall, there was the first Iraq war, uh, which was under his watch, and he was busy with that. And again, some of the tax stuff. He also, um, 
while he was at the forefront of some of the things as far as clean air, uh, really did a lot, uh, passed some, supported mm-hmm. some legislation to improve clean air and clean water around the country, uh, try to deal with the acid rain issue, which had been a big issue throughout the 80s. I mean, for our listeners, that's where the uh, pollution from the West Coast flows to the East. And it was um, a big issue back in the 80s, and he did address that. He got lower lower marks from the uh, LGBT community who uh, his speeches, in fact, I was looking up one that I covered in late 1991 mm-hmm. when things were st- he was starting to get hammered. He was here in town for a big speech at Earth City. It was a big fundraiser for Kit Bond, and gay rights activists showed up and disrupted the speech, and the Secret Service had to get them. But that was the kind of thing that until um, the late 80s didn't happen. Uh, and this was at the height of the um, AIDS um, ep- ep- epidemic, and the belief was that he was ignoring it, as had Ronald Reagan. Reagan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the things he's given a lot of credit for is the Americans for Disabilities Act. Yes. And he signed that legislation and is very supportive of it. We have on the line, on the line Colleen Starkloff uh, of the uh, Starkloff Disabilities Institute here. I just wanted to bring her in and get uh, your recollection of that period, Colleen. We don't have a lot of time, but uh, you, you, your thoughts on the passing of... Um, George H.W. Bush. Thank you very much for including me. I really appreciate it. Um, I, you know, uh, I have to start by saying I'm a liberal Democrat who voted for George H.W. Bush. And my late husband, Max Starkloff, and I talked about this. And I said, I just think he's a really good man. Um, so that was a split vote in our house. But yeah. <clears throat> I didn't know um, where he really was on disability, but I thought he was a man of conscience and a man who tried to do the right thing. And in fact, where where people with disabilities are concerned, we really needed the ADA because we already had a previous law on uh, that was passed in 1973 that gave us some rights, but it wasn't. It was more having to do with federally funded projects, and we needed something that would deal with with buses and streets and sidewalks and discrimination in employment and public accommodations like parks and places where people go in the public, and we didn't have that. Um, Over-the-road buses like Greyhound weren't required to be accessible, and we didn't have communication for deaf and hard-of-hearing people. And the ADA came in and took care of all of that, except for housing. ADA is not a housing law. People talk about ADA housing, and that's not where ADA falls um, falls in line. But uh, we got the ADA passed in two years, which, as large and sweeping as that law is, it's actually considered phenomenal. But we had support from George Bush, George H.W. Bush. We had uh, people in his administration who were working with disability rights advocates. Max and I were very much engaged in the fight for the ADA. And to be able to get it passed in two years was remarkable. And we had support and on from the president and from the White House. And when it was signed, um, he said, let the shameful walls of exclusion finally come tumbling down. And he also talked at the time about people with disabilities being employed and getting into jobs and that employers should take note of us as a new talent pool. So, you know, I didn't agree with him on all issues, but and you don't. That's politics. But I think it's time for us to stand up and say, thank you, President Bush. Thank you for standing with the disability rights community. Thank you for seeing our issues as civil rights issues. And thank you for um, 
your advocacy. And I also uh, know that he was known to say that there were times when he felt that the passage of the ADA was the most important thing he did as president. Ah. Well, I'm he sure told you, us that. Yeah. Well, Colin, I want to thank you for sharing your thoughts about uh, Mr. Bush uh, uh, on this day before the National Day of Mourning. Nice to talk to you again. Thank you so much. Joe, I have to go back to the notion, and we're hearing so much of it now, and I think when, when someone passes away, a particular former president or someone of stature, uh, we tend to only hear the, the, the good things about them, which is fine and nice. Yeah. He was a decent guy. He was an yes, easy guy was. to talk to. Um, I had several conversations with, with him and always felt that it was totally accommodating and a good guy to be around. Yeah, I mean, um, I did not have the opportunity of having a one-on-one with him. But I was often in the pool where you're right next to him, but you're not sure. supposed to ask yeah. any questions. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think he was a classy guy, um, as I mentioned before, and and he did have this breadth of experience. I mean, because he had been, um, you know, head of the CIA for a while. Um, he, in fact, I mean, I was listening to some interviews. He often thought he often said that was one of the best jobs he ever had. Mm-hmm. He had a real big grasp of government, and as a result, as I said, I was in the Post Dispatch Washington Bureau uh, during Reagan's first term, and of course, Bush was his vice president and had been very critical mm-hmm. of him during the campaign before he became the vice president about the finances. But uh, the result was that once Reagan became president, Reagan tended to be somewhat of a more big picture guy. Uh, dealt focused a lot on international stuff on other things. So actually, in some ways, uh, it, Bush was in a similar situation to Vice President Pence, and that Bush had a lot of hands-on um, duties as vice president, helping to run the government in the eighties under Bush. Yeah, um, Vice President Pence was quite eloquent yesterday. I thought uh, during the uh, the memorial service. I you know, do you remember the Newsweek uh, cover when she was called a wimp? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, actually, uh, the, the article never called him a wimp, but the cover cover did. I remember talking to uh, Bucky Bush, his uh, his youngest brother, who's since passed away. I That's love right. Bucky. Was Bucky. a great source for reporters. I will just say that, and I lamented his passing. And I, Bucky was one of my favorite Republicans. T- totally accommodating uh, all the time, and and he was sought out a lot because he was, after all, the president's brother. But I, I interviewed him with regard to the wimp comment. And he said, oh, my God. He says, doesn't anybody know what this guy has done? And he told the whole story about bailing out yeah. over the Pacific, having been shot down by the Japanese. And, you know, the youngest Navy aviator in, in, in the war, the entire war. Um, you know, how could anybody suggest that he was a wimp? Well, I think sometimes people who um, are confident <laughs> about themselves, I mean— You know, Bush had done a lot of things, a lot of achievements that don't necessarily make front page news, just like his uh, World War II service. I don't, I think, I always had a sense, uh, as again, I didn't know the man. I just covered him when he was in town or something. Um, He had a sense that he was comfortable in his own skin. Mm -hmm. So he didn't need to be out there bragging about himself because he figured if people want to know about his, that's one of the things that was um, highly respected about him is that he was not one to get out there and toot his own horn. His figure was if you were if you reporter covering him, you should know that stuff. Mm-hmm. If you were whatever, you should know this. And uh, if you asked him a question about something he'd done, he'd talk about it. But he was not uh, someone who bragged about his accomplishments. That's something that was very, very striking about him. 
He's been given a lot of credit for the end of the uh, Cold War and the end of the uh, old Soviet Union. Do you think that uh, he should be given as much credit as he's getting today? It was really Ronald Reagan that uh, set the stage. Well, it was kind of complicated. I mean, the bottom line is because Reagan um, expanded the defense spending so much yeah. and created the huge, these huge deficits because he cut taxes at the same time in 81, which really set the stage for many of the financial issues we have now. There's my lecture. But <laughs> not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it is. But um, but because there was so much spending, uh, the Russians also had money problems. That's really kind of what – there was kind mm. of an offshoot of that. So the uh, Gorbachev, who I did get to meet, um, decided, you know, this is not – we need yeah. to be doing something else. Now, whether one agrees or disagrees, that's what happened. Bush, I think it's some credit and probably deservedly so, again, because I think he was involved behind the scenes as vice president and running some of the finances, but also because he understood, because he'd been a soldier, because he'd been the CIA before, he, because he was very close to the intelligence community and the defense community. Bush knew how to handle it in such a way, again, without being an arrogant. He had a pretty good relationship with Gorbachev. Yes, they he did. seem to get along get along very well. Well, I wonder if uh, we're looking at George Bush today through a different kind of uh, different kind of lens, given what's going on in Washington today. I mean, it, he was a different guy. It was a different era, and he represented, as we say, a decent, gracious time. Well, one of the things you can point to is the way he handled uh, the first Iraq War. Whether one agree, agrees or disagrees, mm. it was because you know Iraq had invaded Kuwait, and and uh, we went in, pushed him out of Kuwait. He was uh, the American forces were very close to Baghdad. He was the one who told military, "No, we don't need to be doing that. It's going to be a big bloodbath." Mm -hmm. And this is because this is a guy who had served in combat and who got it. And said, "No, nah, we don't need to do that. We'll, we'll." Whether one agrees or disagrees of what he did, the point was he was, he made a decision based on his own experience, mm -hmm. and he wasn't out there to try to uh, toot his own horn and say, "Yeah, we're going to uh, invade Baghdad, and there's going to be more deaths and all this." He was very measured in what he did, and I think as a result, a lot of foreign leaders at the time. Uh, I mean, he was criticized a lot for focusing too much on international policy. But a lot of foreign leaders did respect him because they knew that he knew what he was talking about. Yeah. Well, weigh that against Lyndon Johnson, who uh, put all his eggs in the domestic policy basket. And look what happened with Vietnam, where he was not as attentive. Exactly. I mean, that's that. I mean, for every president, there's these domestic pressures versus the international pressures. And what's interesting about Bush is that, frankly, the reason he lost uh, his bid for a second term was mainly because of domestic issues, because he was being accused of not paying enough attention to what was going on. There was this famous episode where he didn't know the price of a loaf of bread. Oh. <laughs> well, most presidents maybe didn't, don't. Didn't but, know how to use the scanner in the supermarket. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, but the point was that he... He It was used as an illustration that he was considered out of touch on domestic issues. I am not saying he was. I'm just saying that that's where the Democrats and Clinton used that as uh, an edge against him. I actually covered Bush's um, post-debate rally here in St. Louis after that debate yeah. that he had with Clinton. And it was rather interesting because the crowd was so euphoric and uh, Bush was really, you know, 
pounding it on, and he, he was really confident that maybe he'd turn things around. It turned out he had not. Right, we've got to end it right there. Joe Manis, always love talking to you about things like this. Thanks for being with us. Well, thanks for asking me. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.